freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. Oh, we're going to do you a minute. That really worked that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! All right, rolling along here, Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com and the Seattle Sports app. And G. Scott's in the building here for this entire hour, which is great. Salk, somebody texted in from yeah. 206. They said, there's no way that G. comes in just talking business like that. Will you tell you? I don't even know the questions that are coming my way. <laughs> Somebody's like, just came right in and just start talking business. Yeah. That's because I was taught by the great... <laughs> taught me a lot, Mike So I don't know what that person was getting at, but whatever you're hearing from G is authentic. That I can tell you. It's, a, it's 100% who this man is. <laughs> what do you so, got, bro? So, KJ was in yesterday. We were talking about uh, Geno Smith for he a little while. good with you. KJ's awesome. He's really good at this. He would sound yeah. good with anybody. I'm yeah. just along for the ride. But KJ is is dynamic and sure. awesome and just an absolute natural at doing yeah. this. He's very yeah. easy to listen to. Sure. So, if you guys missed any of that, salesports.com or wherever you get your podcast, go listen to the whole thing. It was awesome. Anyway, KJ had said last year, and uh, of course, Mora remembered this. He remembered it. I had, of course, forgotten it because I'm an idiot. But he said basically last year before the season started, Seahawks are three years away, three years away from the Super Bowl. Mm. And he said, according to him, they're right on schedule. Mm-hmm. Last year with the rookie class and everything else, 10 and 7, year one. Mm-hmm. This year, continued growth, another rookie class, et cetera, year two. Next year, Super Bowl expectations in 2024. Agree. Okay, so I tend to agree with it also. I think that's a a really good – I don't feel like they're quite there this year. That's not a knock on them. Okay. I think they've done a lot of good things. I don't think this is a Super Bowl contending team right now. Not my feeling. I'd love to be proven wrong. I don't feel like they're this year ready to win a Super Bowl. Okay? So, But that's not the point of the conversation. Okay. So, uh, ancillary to that. More or I'm sorry, Justin was asking me yesterday or a couple days ago, who is the make who's the Seahawk who's in a make or break situation this year? And on its surface, the answer to that, I think, is fairly obvious that it would be D. Eskridge, right? That, you know, two years of not doing much, et cetera. And I wrote about this. If you guys want to read it, seattlesports.com. It's, uh, it got up late last night. So if you want to go read this, you can sort of see this in written form. D. Eskridge is the obvious answer to that question. Two years of injuries and non-production, et cetera. And so you're kind of like, hey, man, make a break. They drafted Jackson Smith and Jigba. You're fourth, maybe fifth in the depth chart here. You also have Jake Bobo, who's like I've been really impressive. Like, hey, man, make a break for what you're going to do with your career mm-hmm. and so he's the obvious answer to that question maybe you put Jamal Adams on the make or break list couple other guys yeah. mm-hmm. but it dawns on me yeah. that if KJ's right and I think he probably is about this being a three-year plan to get back to the Super Bowl that Geno Smith is actually the guy in the biggest make or break position of his career or, or at the very least from the Seahawks perspective Gino's now got an he's now got an NFL career. He's he proved last year he's an NFL player. I don't know that we knew that before last year. Fair. He proved it. He is an NFL quarterback in a way that I didn't think he was a year ago this time. But he's got to prove this year that he's a Super Bowl quarterback. Because if he's not the guy that you think can take you to a Super Bowl, if you're on a three year plan in a league that doesn't last long with its windows, 
you got to be finding that guy like immediately. You got to determine whether or not he's your Super Bowl guy right now. And so it actually makes this a bigger year than I realized for Geno Smith. Mm. I think Geno Smith is playing with house money. I think Geno Smith is, it took him 10 years for someone in sports radio to say, okay, finally, Geno Smith has a career. Mm. I think Geno Smith right now has the love of the city, which is very important right now. He has the love of this city, the Seahawks fans, the 12s. When you have that type of love and that kind of security blanket and backing, sometimes in life, man, sometimes you just need little folks in your in your corner that's like, yeah, I got you. We see you. For sure. We, you know what I mean? And, and by the way, everyone out there should be able to relate to that. Yes, Right? Just, just just that person in your corner. And, well, Gino has an entire fan base that is like, yep, we're here for you. I think that plays on a positive for Gino. Number two, Gino got a check, right? Like, I, look, I know wins and Super Bowls and playoffs and Pro Bowls are important. And I know the fan support is important. But, Mike Salk, at the end of the day, when you get that check – there's a security right yeah. there. So not only like, – and there's some people right now that are going to their jobs or they are at work and their employer and or their manager or their boss says, hey, you know what, Mike? We love you. We love you. You're the best. You work so hard. And then you're like, that's cool. Mm. But my paycheck says otherwise, right. right? So there's nothing that makes you feel more valued than when your paycheck aligns into so onto is, what people say. Do you think he feels valued by his yes. paycheck? Yes. Because it's an out after one year. Yes. I mean, feels, if they want to get out after this year, mm-hmm. that paycheck is toast. Yeah, but but he is loyal mm. to an organization. Okay, good. There's 32 or, Here, Check this out. There's 32 teams in the NFL. 31 teams did not want Geno. How about that? Absolutely. Look, I get it, man. And and Geno should be loyal, and the Seahawks have shown some loyalty back to him. All that is well and good. Sure. But from an organizational standpoint, if you're on a plan to win another year after this one, Mm -hmm. you better know that your quarterback's capable of that, right? Right. I don't know that he showed me that last year. He showed me that he's an NFL starter. He showed me that he's an NFL quarterback. Did he show you that he can win a Super Bowl last year? Yeah. He did? Yeah, he so did. you think he's already proven that he can win a Super Bowl? I, I, I mean, obviously, without having won a Super Bowl. I, I mean, I think that we, when we think about uh, NFL winning quarterbacks, I'm excuse me, Super Bowl quarterbacks, we automatically go to the elite. We go to Patrick Mahomes. We go to all of these other quarterbacks. Mm. But one thing about football, the beauty in it, is that there's three phases. I don't care how yeah, so, good. So I'm not saying Geno Smith has to be better than Patrick Mahomes. I don't. I don't need Geno Smith is not going to prove this year that he's a top three quarterback in the NFL. That would shock everybody, including probably him. But he's got to show that with the right pieces around him, he can beat Patrick Mahomes. That he can beat Josh Allen. That he can beat the best teams, the Eagles, when they play. Like, he's got to show that he isn't the problem in those games, and that with the right pieces around him. They can win them because that's what it's going to take to win a Super Bowl. This Seahawks team and the uh, cast and family members around surrounding Geno mm-hmm. will be a year older this year. Yeah. And that is important. In the last segment, we talked about who I believe are the rookies that I believe are going to make the biggest jump. And maybe they're rookies that did, their name aren't in gold or they're not getting scoring touchdowns or catching passes. 
But I think Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, the bookends of that offensive line, was huge. And if you're a Seahawk fan, you have got to be excited. Not many teams, excuse me, not any team in the NFL has that. Geno had that last year. We had two rookies as his tackles. Then he had a running back who was also a rookie, right? Kenneth Walker III, who has, and they've only built up the running back position. I think the running back, if you think the running back position was good last year, I think it's going to be better. I think the offensive line is going to be better. Now, on when you start talking about the defensive side of things, that's another phase. My whole point, Mike Salk, is there's three phases to the game. There's offense, there's defense, and if you guys don't think special teams is a big deal, Go ahead and watch what happens when you're missing mm-hmm. field goals from time to time or uh, block punts and, and, and all of those different things. But where they're at right now, the offense is expected anyway to be the best of those three groups. We'll see what happens. I mean, the, but but on paper, the offense oh, or maybe the special maybe the special teams, but that, the offense is certainly a, the expectation is that the offense is ahead of the defense right now. Yes. I mean, the defense, that, that's the beauty in this. The Seahawks did what they did last year. And I don't have the stats in front of me more. You might be can tell me. But I think they ranked number 30 yeah. in, in uh, defense on uh, stopping the run. Yeah, they had all kinds of problems. And all kinds of problems. And then I asked KJ yesterday if they have a nose tackle yet for this scheme. He said no. And I asked oh. if it was important. And he said yes. Yeah. So, yeah, you know yeah. what, G? I still got a little concerned about <laughs> how they're going to stop the run. Gino's going to – it's going to be an interesting season for him. Again, I'm not telling you he can't do it. Okay. This is not a bash Gino segment. Far from it. So why did you go make a break Gino? Because my Baker, you know who my Baker break guy is? You know who I be thinking about all the time? I think he has it. He reminds me of just somebody like he's got the talent, but you're just like you're sitting and back. Like Daryl Taylor and a couple. Bingo. Yeah, I mean, and he's in that spot. Bingo. I get it. Those, like, those guys, Daryl Taylor and, and D. Eskridge and Jamal Adams like, have, have some of it sure. for various reasons. But if you want to win a Super Bowl, you can win a Super Bowl with or without Daryl Taylor. Like you don't need to make that decision to decide whether or not you're going to win a Super Bowl in two years. Quite frankly, especially after you drafted the other two guys in the second round the year after, right? I mean, you got Boyamafe, you got uh, Derek Hall. Like, you've kind of covered that spot. You want to know why Geno Smith is a Super Bowl contending quarterback? You want to know why Geno Smith is a really good quarterback? Because right now, and Justin Moore, you guys can go through the archives, you can't point to one game last year and be like, you know what? The Seahawks would have won if mm. Geno was better here. Yeah, I think that, I remember that conversation. I think there was one. There was one game. I forget which one it was, but it was only one. There was one game where like it's sort of the first time Geno didn't really have it. But other than that, I totally agree there. I don't remember which game that was. So this is like a terrible argument that I'm making. But <laughs> I think you're right in general. Like sure. I think the point's still very well taken mm-hmm. that he has not been the reason they've lost games. Mm-hmm. Can he be the reason they win him? We'll come right back, give you everything you need to know. Brock and Salk, G. Scott, Seattle Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, it was not pretty yesterday. Lifeless and kind of a pathetic game for the Mariners. Uh, straight up boring to watch. They generated no consistent threat. Garrett Cole did essentially whatever he wanted for, what, eight innings. Kirby made just two mistakes. One got punished for a home run. I honestly don't know the name of the player that hit it. The other, this was considered an RBI double, but, man, it was just straight up dropped. Now the stretch by Kirby delivers. Swing and a high fly ball into the gap in right center field. Going back to Oscar Hernandez. He's got some room, leaps up, and it's going to be off the top of the fence and a bounce away from Julio. Rounding third is Torres. He's going to score. In its second goes Rizzo. 
with a double. It appeared that Teoscar had a chance to make that catch up against the wall in right center field as Julio was closing in. And the Yankees get a run. They lead one to nothing. Yeah, he jumped when he didn't have to, and it clanged off the base of his glove, not the wall, unfortunately. It's just a it's just a drop. I, I know it's not an easy play, which is why it's not an error, but that's a drop, man, and it cost them a run, and unfortunately, uh, you know, they did nothing offensively all night. And I know you're facing Garrett Cole. So what? Like, you got to find a way in these games if you want to be the team that you're supposed to be, that you have the talent to be. And they were obviously unable to get it done last night. So four games out in the wild card, almost a, like better than where they were this time a year ago. But, gee, that's not a good way to start a road trip. No, not at all. And I was looking forward to the Mariners going on this road trip against the Yankees and the Orioles. And I was like, yeah, you know what? This first game, go ahead and take care of business because I'm going to be hanging out with Mike Salkis and put him in a good mood. And then I saw him get out there and do it. And I'm like, man, this Garrett Cole, that is your daddy. (laughs) And Garrett Cole is a bad man right there. But I'm just tired of seeing him do what he do to the Mariners. Here's the second thing you need to know. Did you crack me up? Uh, Well, just to make it a little bit worse, not only did they play badly last night, they lost one of their most important guys, J.P. Crawford, forced to leave the game with a shoulder injury. You know it's bad if a tough dude like J.P.'s coming out. Yeah, J.P., um, you know, the stolen base, I think it was Bader, when he got up to go to third, they collided at that point. uh, J.P., you know, banged his right shoulder. um, Sore. It's a contusion. We'll see how it is tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, you're going to get an MRI, it sounds like, and hopefully he will be okay, but uh, not a, not not good for a guy that is like the one player on this team that is not chasing and not striking out constantly and giving them consistency both in the field and at the plate. By the way, Phase 1 All-Star Game voting ends tomorrow. The Mariners not doing well. Ty France, fifth in first base voting. Jose Caballero and J.P. Crawford, sixth at their positions. Julio, 11th among outfielders. Not a great uh, not a great spot to be in before the All-Star game here in Seattle. I was really hoping Julio would be one of the guys. Yeah, me too. But you know what? Sometimes, you know, some of the breaks, that's what you need. In life, you just need some of the breaks. You just taught me during the break. You said to me, you said, gee, sometimes you just, you know, you're, you're doing good, but you just lose. And in this case, the Mariners just need, they're doing good, they're trying their hardest. They just need a few breaks and some injuries. We don't want that to happen. Maybe some breaks is going to break their way after the what? All star break. More, mm-hmm. how many times I use break right there? I think four? <laughs> just four. No biggie. <laughs> Here's the third thing you need to know. Surprised Justin didn't chime in with a little limp biscuit. Give me something to break. Took every all my instincts and all my training was telling me to jump. How in about your face? Seahawks are going to have nine open training camp dates, July 26th through August 16th. Go to Seahawks.com to uh, register to attend those practices. Would you tell people to go attend training camp practice? Absolutely. That is something that never gets old. My man Quandre Diggs said nine? Nine? Open to the fans? Nah. Quandre said make them all open to the fans. The players... Look, this is one of those things where I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the players would much rather practice in front of the fans. Nothing is better than this. I told Jackson Smith and Jigba, I told him, I said, man, 
You have no idea what you're in for. You don't even know what it's like to practice right there on the shores of Lake Washington with all of the amazing fans right there on the berm, the music, the energy. And he's like, it's like that? I said, would your boy lie to you? <laughs> would I lie to you? you it goes, not. boy, it's on like Maddie Stone when he up up that berm, boy. <laughs> That's everything you need to know. We do the quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk show. That is, of course, G. Scott, who is uh, hanging out with us till nine. Stacy's going to come in for a few minutes at nine o'clock. And uh, yeah, we got uh, we got, of course, uh, a wonderful ranking, which I think will only help. It'll help everybody's mood, especially Mora's. I think. Did Mora uh, miss ranked? I think she did. Yeah. Did you miss ranked? Uh, absolutely not. Right. More than anything else. Gee, I was getting texts about it. We thought we thought about FaceTiming her every day at 45 just to make sure she had an opportunity. But nothing. Decline. Especially because that's like, what, you know, 11.45 in Iowa. I mean, yeah. like, we're an opportunity if she's up and awake and maybe she's, she would have enjoyed it more. She's too busy getting her liter of coffee, soda, right. syrupy. Yeah. What's a liter of cola? <laughs> what are we talking about next? Well, anyways? before we get to, I just, I just wanted to point something out, and and I don't want people to get mad at me when I say this. I, gee, I don't want, I don't want to make people mad. You talked about the energy out in the berm. You talked about all the open practices and how great they are, and and I agree with you. Over the years, the Seahawks practices have been tremendous. Last year, they didn't have that same vibe. We were all talking. Remember, we were talking about it last year. Like, where is everybody? Mm-hmm. Okay. Why doesn't it seem going. the same? What? No, what? I no, think no, after no, the rest no. trade, people. No. Right there were some questions. So, you know what? Do you, you think mm-hmm. that now, with Geno established yes. and Russ gone and Pete, like, sort of back in charge, yes. will we see a better showing at Seahawks training camp this year? Yes, I and, hope so. And you know what? I think that this is what makes you really good at your job hmm. because you're willing to come on the flagship station well, of the Seahawks and be like, hey, G. Uh, it wasn't like that. I just want to let you know. to be like hey, that. Hey, hey, here's the thing. I know that, but I don't. I didn't have the courage oh, really? to come say that. Well, I mean, look, for years it was great. Last year it was not. So yeah. let's let's get and I think it will me, return. I, I, I'm gonna, I think it, you know, hold on. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. It's Brock and Salt. CL Sports on 710. <laughs> You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. I like this song. Who is this? This is, this is nice. Who is this? Yeah. I, I, yeah. Wait, do you Wait, was this? You're what, the one what, that had me roll this in, Salk. Was this in Sons of Anarchy? It does sound like it, doesn't it? Yeah. By the way, one of the greatest shows ever. I forget who this is. Sons of Anarchy? Oh, you liked it? Oh, phenomenal. Phenomenal show. Well, I definitely don't know who it is, but I'm looking at it because you had me roll it in. Yeah. It's, uh, Stone Foxes, I Killed Robert Johnson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of, has anybody seen Betsy? No. I mean, I. <laughs> Speaking of. What? I mean, has Speaking anybody of seen Betsy? Any, yeah. any yeah. Speaking of Sons of Anarchy, anybody seen Betsy? Anybody seen Are, The listeners, from? yeah. What, what, what are you doing this? What are you doing we're, these days? We're taking a trip this Text weekend. Text in if you've seen Betsy. Oh come on, we're, taking, <laughs> we're going to Portland this weekend, G. I can't wait to see the pictures of Betsy that get sent in, just like emojis. <laughs> You're not going like, to you know, faces all blurred out or whatever. Yeah, else. We're going to go to a Portland Pickles game on Friday night, actually. Oh, so if you I want, bet if you, you want to meet Justin, all you got to do is go down to I bet you Portland know. this weekend. You can meet Betsy. Yeah. I bet you're not going solo. I bet you it's a group of people, right? There's a group, and that's when you but, get to pretend but, like Betsy but, was with you. But, oh. but she's the one that planned it with her group of friends. 
This isn't me being like, hey, you want to come to Portland with eight of my buddies and like get dragged around to a pickles game and then like ninety seven dive bars? Maybe that's the only way Betsy can. <laughs> that's the only way Betsy can uh, go somewhere with Justin if she plans it. Because mm, we know Justin ain't planning. Well, no, Justin no. does a lot of planning, does but just he? not with Planner. Lindsay. <laughs> he does a lot of planning without her. Is what I've sort of discovered. All right, what's up? So uh, we were talking about Seahawks, uh, and I got a couple other questions. I want to take you back down memory lane. Yeah. Um, let's finish up the Seahawks conversation first, though. I don't then. remember what we were talking about. I am going to. Take you all. I'm going to take you back to 1986 in a few minutes. Oh, to 1986 because I have a feeling this will be an impactful moment in your life. I saw something about it yesterday, and it just sort of made me want to ask you about it today. Okay. But well, we're talking about the berm and what it was like, you know, last year compared oh, yeah, to the yeah. previous few years, and you know, it's interesting, you know, being right and being wrong. When you do this job, you're right sometimes and you're wrong sometimes. When you do this job and you're me, you're right occasionally and you're wrong like most of the time. And you own that. Oh, dude, I'm wrong so much. Right. All the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you say stuff, you talk for four hours a day and, you know, you say stuff that's wrong. Mm-hmm. I wrote that the Mariners were going to be potentially the greatest Mariner team of all time. Turns out that's not been the case so far. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you heard. That has not been true. <laughs> Got it wrong. What do you want in my life? I've okay. been wrong about that. Okay. I still like some of the reasons why I said it. I'll still stand by the principles. Mm-hmm. But prediction game? Ugh, didn't work out. Mm. It wasn't that long ago that there were a lot of people in town and around the country who were spending a lot of vocal and written energy mm-hmm. on how Pete Carroll was too old, mm-hmm. had no idea what he was doing, mm-hmm. needed to give the ball to Russell Wilson more and run less and run his offense and less. And Pete steadfastly refused to do it, mm-hmm. except for when he tried doing it and it didn't work, and said, that's not who he is. How come we don't hear about that anymore? How come with Russ and all of his struggles last year, we didn't hear anything about letting Russ cook? And, like, I don't know. Felt like Pete maybe deserved an apology from some people. Mm. Especially on a national level. All levels. Every level. I'm not calling anybody out. I do not. Did you apologize to Pete? No. I did not. I I said Pete was right. I was all along saying Pete was right. I didn't need to apologize to Pete. Oh, you didn't? No. I'll apologize to other people. I mean, you brought up that I apologized to Doug. Are you going to apologize to Gino Smith? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm when certainly you see, wrong He needs to come him. on the show, and you need to say, Gino, I wrote you back. Because you said, you know, did they write back? I, I wrote you a letter. Sure, I've never talked to him, but you, I would I would say that. Sure. I, I challenge you. Here's to a challenge. say that he was one of the guys that, that or I was one of the people no, that didn't no, believe no, no, him. No, no, no. Sure. Let's take this to another level. You tell the people at the Seahawks organization yeah. that when the season comes, training camp, yeah. that you want to talk to Geno Smith. Okay. And but, but but what I want you to do is is I want you to sit down at night and I want you yeah. to write Geno Smith a letter. Okay. And you read that letter to Geno Smith on the air and everyone listens to it. Was this it is a letter from where I am now or from where I was a year ago? All of it. Oh, you want me to encompass my I, entire I, I, range I, of Geno feelings? I, I want, and, and here's the thing. I don't want you to type it. I want you to write it. Handwrite it? No. That's not going to happen. Dude, I, no, I've been yeah, able to yeah, read yeah. it. I can't no, no, read it. Uh, my bad. Yeah, I, I don't even want to handwrite it. That's not going to happen. But Plus actually I'd be, I'd sit down sore after and I want you to start it with, dear Gino. Yeah. And you go from there. And you actually write your feelings, your real feelings about what you thought about him. You add in Baker Mayfield. Why? Why? And you add in all the – because this is a, because you're good at this. 
Because you're one of the realest dudes like on radio. It's embarrassing to read that to Gino. Like, I, are, you, I, I, are you ever worried about being embarrassed? You're Mike Salk. Well, embarrassing for a different reason. Like, I'm, I don't mind embarrassing myself in some ways, but that feels like it would be... I, look, maybe I will. I, let me think about that. I, I have no problems telling him, certainly, that I was among the people that, that didn't believe he could do what he did last year. Yeah. And based on what I watched a, a year ago in, in minicamp, yeah. I didn't think there was any chance he was going to be able to do that. Mm. So, dude, he impressed the heck out of me, everything he did last year. I'm I'm big enough to say that. Okay. Are other people big enough to say that Pete was right? That he knew Russell Wilson, what he was capable of and what he wasn't? That when he had Geno Smith last year, he let Geno cook more than Russ because he trusted him with more of those things that he has that he's good at than what Russ was. I'll t- I'll tell you was hilarious to me. The some of the the national folks that screamed let Russ cook are some of the same folks that kind of gave it to Russ a little bit when he was struggling out there in right. Denver. Like, well, I'm, sure they were, I'm sure they were upset. They had banked on <laughs> Russ cooking. They were about to be proven right, and yeah. instead the opposite was true. What did anyone expect that kind of? Like, that was one of the more no. shocking things we've seen in the NFL. No one the expected drop it. Off that he had. You know who might have? Pete. Yeah, it's true. Pete so might be the one person but that I expected can't, I don't blame the national media for thinking that was going to go differently. <laughs> um. I don't. I don't understand football. I, I've never I played he might football. Struggle, but not on that. I, I, look, I'm not. I'm not a quarterback guru. I'm not a football guru. I don't know anything. Was I shocked that Russell had the year that he had? No, not at all. It's all a, of it as bad dude, as it. Come I mean, on, that was like epic. When they were counting down the the seconds on the play clock, you weren't shocked. Come on. No, yes, you were. no. What I, here's what I did yes, not. You were. Well, here's what I did not understand until Mar, you have been trying to teach me this. What I did not know is how ruthless Denver Bronco fans can be. <laughs> That's yeah. true. That's what I did not count on. I, I apologize because here in Seattle, right, the fans, you know, you guys might hit the text line and you might be a little upset, but you don't go that hard. Them Denver Bronco fans, yo, I'm scared of them. Mm. They play no games. Yeah, they play for keeps. As a matter of fact, when we were saying good luck to you, they were on Russell Wilson's side like, yeah, we got you talking stuff to us. Oh, yeah. They made we Seahawks fans as if we were the jealous ex, right? Oh, you guys want to say this. And as soon, and as soon as he lost here at Lumen Field against the Seahawks, it felt like the Denver Bronco fans like, yep, we're, we're done. Yeah. And then once the airplane ride happened in the high knees. I mean, that was the end. That was the end. And, and everybody was happy to jump in and crush Russ and talk about the mistake, who he was and why it wasn't going well. And some people certainly came back and, and said, hey, Pete's doing a heck of a job this year. But I do think that it, you know, with all of the confidence of, of the whole let Russ cook thing. Anyway, I, I think that's one of the reasons you may see a little bit more excitement around the team and around the berm and around the training camp, et cetera, this year, because you don't have this constant chirping voice saying, you know, and, and many voices, this chorus mm-hmm. saying Pete screwed this thing up. Can I take it to game one, though? Can we go back to since we were, we're going back and mm-hmm. forth on this? Let's go back to game one. Lumen Field. Seahawks against the Broncos. And some of you were there, but some of you guys were in the city and maybe you watched it on TV. You remember what was being said. The energy inside of the stadium. I remember pregame. Pregame energy, right? The fans. I had 
in all the years that I have been working along with the Seahawks, I had never felt that energy. And what was that energy? It was an energy of uncertainty, right? That's the, the overall thing. And it was like, and I was talking to people. They're like, oh, man, we're going to see how this is going to go. Who knows? Who knows? And I think that, is it fair to say that Pete Carroll and some of his comments leading up to that game were kind of uncharacteristic of Pete? Maybe some of the things it almost felt like Pete wanted that game, even though Pete is always, you know, is one game at a time and, you know, every game is a championship game. But in my opinion, it felt as if Pete Mm. wanted that game more than any game that he's ever coached. To which I say, I know why. I know why. His reputation was on the line, man. Bigger than that. Bigger than that. That game symbolized so many things. Mm. One, it made the fans say, oh, we back, baby. And two, it made those young guys on that team be like, oh, so the stuff that they were saying about Mm. this team, oh, Oh, we really, we really are good. This coach knows what he's doing. And they had a year. Yeah. I, I'd argue with you on this. If the Seahawks lose game one against the Broncos at home, the Seahawks don't make the playoffs last season, and they don't have the season that they had. And the berm is possibly what you very said possible. it was this season very, very as it possible. was last season. That's a very, very – you know what? I'm not going to disagree with you. I, I mean, it's sliding doors, so who knows? But hypothetically, you may very well be right. Now, would it have still gone awry for Russ? Yes. I think it still would have gone awry for Russ. Even if he had won that game, I think it still would have gone wrong for him last year because I think the situation was a mess and there was too much put on him that he wanted, et cetera. But, you know, we'll get too far into it. Sure. Hey, I wanted to take you back as well. This uh, kind of jumped out to me, and I bet it's a date that is uh, memorable to you as well. This is June 19th. 1986, and I'm sorry, I thought it was June 20th, but I, I just saw it yesterday, and that's what made me think of it. I, you have your arm out like you're throwing, but I don't think you know what it is. Oh. What do you think happened on June 19th to, uh, in 1986? Okay. I'm going to tell you what I— It's a th- sad day. Not, oh, a, not oh, a good day. Oh, 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 I, I, I thought it was I thought it was me at um, Jamie Moyer's first game when he was a no. Chicago Cub. I mean, it By could the way, have that, been. that is like one of the greatest, coolest things ever. That I was literally at his first game. When, when I, I tell you this moment, I bet you will remember how you felt. How how old are you? What year were you born? Seventy. I was I was ten years I was ten years old. June, ten years old. Yeah, June nineteenth, nineteen eighty six. Yep. Um, does this have to do with the Cubs? The Boston Celtics had just won the nineteen eighty six oh, NBA championship. Len Bias died, and Len and we're going. You know, had drafted Len Bias. Yeah. And we found out on June 19th, 1986, that yeah. Len Bias had died. Yeah. It was, I mean, growing up in Boston, again, not a Celtics fan growing up. I was a Laker fan growing up. I know it's a long story and complicated, but actually it's not complicated. I love magic, and that's sort of the end of it. But yeah, that nice. was as impactful a death, a, a celebrity or you know, a person in, that I didn't know, as any death I've ever experienced secondhand in my entire life, to this day, I think it is still the one that rings like most true to me was seeing Len Bias pass or knowing about Len Bias passing away in that moment. My personality, right? I have a, a, an addictive personality. Mm-hmm. And Len Bias is the reason why I never touched any type of cocaine. Dude, nothing. No, I'm, I'm, I'm being you and me both. 
It is the number one reason. Absolutely. It wasn't it wasn't the egg in the frying pan. It wasn't this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. It wasn't just say no. It wasn't my mom my mom being law enforcement, my dad being law enforcement. It was none of that. Lynn Bias yep. dying. I'm good. Well, I think about it a lot, actually. Uh, G, you and I are the same. And I would tell you, I don't have stats to prove this. I do feel like kids who grew up around, you know, our age in Boston, especially, stayed away from that particular uh, drug for that exact reason. That everybody was traumatized yeah. by that moment. I, I, I find myself thinking about it today, or just in general. Every year, I think about it whenever I hear about Lembias's death, or whenever his name comes up. Because you were ten, I was eight. I'm sure there are a lot of people who would say, "Shield your kids from a story like that. Shield your kids from a moment like that. They shouldn't have to know about drugs in the world or what Lembias did or any of that." And and I'm not here to tell you how to parent. That's up to you. You it's between you and your family and your kids and all of that. I can just tell you that my experience was exactly the same as yours, G, and being exposed to that at a young age, eight years old in my case, 10 in yours, had a lifelong effect on both of us, mm-hmm. and I don't think we're alone. It, 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 it should just be a, another data point for those who think that shielding kids from the, what's going on in the world is usually the best policy. Yeah. I'm not saying that it should tell you not to shield them, just that include it as a data point mm-hmm. as you're making your decisions. I don't tell people how to parent, man. There's too many ways to do it, and heck, we're all screwing it up all the time. So I, this is not a a lesson from Mike Salk or anything close to it. Just a suggestion to include that as a data point as you think about how to you know talk to kids about difficult subjects, whether to, when to, et cetera. I think being as young as we were helped magnify the importance of that in our life in a, in a really positive way. Agree. Which is why I think sports is the greatest thing ever. Nothing has shaped our world. Nothing has brought more people. Well, an argument can be made about music, but nothing has brought us together, helped us understand cross cultures, right? Different backgrounds and things like sports. Mm. A lot of things that happen that are centered around sports are the greatest lessons. You know what? When you start start thinking about lessons, Mike. I mean, I love to say that, oh, my greatest lessons I've learned in life was in the classroom and I was sitting there reading a book or the teacher was writing on the chalkboard, which I always hated the chalkboard. Mm. Um, but but no, it's stories like you just brought up uh, in 1986. It's stories, maybe your love for the Mariners. Maybe Ken Griffey said something. Maybe it was Ken Griffey sliding. Maybe it was Ken Griffey uh, playing with his dad that one time. There is something in sports, and especially if you're listening right now to the sports station, right, this is what you listen to. That you can draw to, and you could be like, "Yeah, like one of the greatest moments of your life is what? Mm. I bet you, yeah, you're gonna talk about oh, the love of my kids and my wife. And that sounds good. That stuff is fine. But let's be real. A lot of times, the greatest moments of your life have something to do with sports, mm-hmm. or the other way around. The worst moments of your life. Come on, now. oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, I, I actually, for some reason, I thought you were going to bring up the year that the uh, Padres uh, beat the Cubs in the playoffs. Oh. Because if you guys don't know this, baseball was my first love. Baseball was my first love. That's got to be 19. It was 83 or 4. 84. 84. 83 or 84. 
83. Oh, God. It's either 83 it's or 83 or 84. But Because but, but, then they lost to the Tigers in that World Series, and I'm just blanking on whether that was 83 yeah. or 84. And, and, and hence the reason why, and I know this might su- surprise people and shock people. It's 83. I think you're right. I think it's 83 Tigers, 84 Cardinals, 85 Royals, 86 Mets. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. But Where's Curtis Rogers when you need him? I, Curtis would know. Yeah, he for sure would. <laughs> he know. would know for sure. Yeah, but but again, Mike, this uh, this sports thing and, and and what we do and the the connection that we have to the sports world is everything. Which is why, and, and it might sound like I'm a hypocrite, mm. but one of the biggest problems that are plaguing our youth and children across the country, I drum roll, because I know you guys are going to think I'm not telling the truth here. Is select sports. Select sports is a problem. And it's a problem because we are no longer, right? It's no longer cool to play in your neighborhood to play on those rec teams now. You got to be in AAU. You got to be seven on seven. You got to be select. My baby play for this AAU team. And then you're paying all of this money. And so you have, there's a lot of kids in this country. They can't afford, families can't afford to play. And the only way you're able to afford to play is if you're really good. Right. Right? So then when you're really good and your mama or daddy probably ain't got no money, don't worry about it, son. We got you. Don't worry about it, young lady. We got you. You just come and play on the team. So either you can pay to play with the good players or you can get paid, essentially, to be one of the good players. Bingo. And so what's happened. What are we doing? What's happening is, is that sense of community we have lost out on. Growing up. I play with all my buddies in the neighborhood. Mm. I can't speak for you, but I know there's some people listening right now that some of your fondest memories are playing in your neighborhood. Now, by the time my kids... That's another one where you get some of your fondest and some of your least fond memories. Very true. (laughs) Very true. But by the time my kids got up, they stayed. Doesn't happen. They live here. They're playing over there. They're playing over there. And then you just kind of let, lose that. Sense I gotta tell of you, man. I, I, of all the things, I love talking about parenting. We've done that on this show a lot, and and it's too bad Brock's not here because he brings another really great perspective on this that is, in some ways, similar to yours. In other way, like he, he's got a lot of different perspective on this. So it's a bummer he's not here today to be a part of this. But you know, <laughs> one of the things I'm happiest about is that my kids aren't that into sports. I gotta tell you, I mean, I, I and and they're just not like they have other interests that they're really into. By the way, shout out to Avery, who on her gra- essentially graduation, whatever they call it, from fifth grade today, mm. was chosen to read her essay. I'm super proud of her and really bummed that I'm not there today. But with Brock out, I couldn't take the day off and didn't find out about it until the other day. But huge, huge shout out to my daughter Avery, who uh, is is was essentially chosen to to read her essay. Uh, yeah, you today, got cool, which kids. is awesome. She's great. But they're not super into sports, and neither is ever likely to go down the youth sports into high school sports and all the elite sports stuff that you're talking about. And I am so thankful. Just watching my friends like, hey, what would you do this weekend? Oh, yeah, we all drove to Coeur d'Alene for a softball tournament. Like, what? Mm. Why? You're telling me that you needed to go to Idaho to find people to play softball against? You can't do that here? Mm. I get it if people from Idaho have to come to Seattle to a bigger city and a bigger metropolitan region. What in the world would cause anybody to drive to Idaho to go walk play softball? Yeah. Why is that even a thing? What are we doing? Mind-boggling to me. 85 Bears. (laughs) 1985 Bears. Now, that might be a different, you know, again, I'm not going to. No, no, wait, 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 wait. 
1985 Bears. Impact Every, on your life. You lived in Chicago. Everybody loves the Bears, talks about the Bears. I lived in Chicago. I'm going to confess something to you right now. This is why sports is such a big deal. I did not enjoy and still don't enjoy the 85 Bears the way a lot of people do. Now, why? Got, in my neighborhood, all of, all of my friends, we still talk about the same thing. There's one thing that happened in that game that made me, first of all. In the Super Bowl? In the Super Bowl. I cannot stand Mike. I couldn't stand Mike Ditka mm-hmm. after this. Okay. I was so mad. You had one job. One of the greatest running backs in the history of the game, Walter Payton. Mm-hmm. You mean to tell me? You mean to tell me you don't let Walter Payton score a touchdown? You get close to the goal line Fridge. and you bring in the refrigerator Perry number 72 and you let him running in? You let the fridge get a touchdown. And it felt like he was trying Walter. to embarrass the other team Dude. rather than giving it to Walter Payton. To Here's this the day, thing, though, I'm G, still hurt G, by that. Let me, let me, let me sports, help you. Man. Let me give you a, a different side of that. What? Mike Ditka was just ahead of his time. If, if a guy, Walter, or if a guy, will, the refrigerator Perry, if a guy his size played today, he'd be a running back. That doesn't make me feel bad. <laughs> that doesn't help. Walter Payton. And then Dude, Walter, Payton, Walter Payton, after, after the I game, in the closet. Now, I didn't know that then. I know it now. In the closet. Didn't want to talk to reporters. Yeah. In tears. So, I'm, I'm, my point to bringing that story up, I'm just trying to really dial in on how sports mm. stays with us forever. Forever and ever. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate Thanks, having bro. you in See today. You, G. Scott, you can hear him every morning over on our sister station, 97.3 Cairo News Radio with Ursula Royteen. They get going in about 10 minutes, 9 to noon, every single day. The G and Ursula show. Stacey Ross going to come in the building. We'll chat with her up next. Man, what a busy day. It's Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710 salesports.com.